adventure. Um, so yeah, before I start, I'm going to release the children for uh, table kids if they have nothing to lose around. Just in case, um, they're formally released. Um, cool. So hello everyone, my name is Ansel Beach. Um, I am very grateful uh, for the opportunity to be speaking before you all today as we continue our Call Together series uh, in the book of Acts about the birth of the church, uh, the implications that that has for us today uh, here as people who are aiming to follow uh, or follow along with those who follow Christ. Um, so I don't have a PowerPoint slide with me today, so hopefully uh, my voice and my winsome personality will help you all to uh, <laughs> stay uh, engaged as we go through this here. Um, so, I guess they were talking about the book of Acts, and Acts is written by Luke. Luke was a Gentile historian who became a, a follower of Christ. I actually went on a number of journeys uh, with, with Paul and a lot of the people who we read about the book of Acts. So before I start about what he wrote, wrote in the book of Acts, I want to go you know, backwards a little bit to, to Luke. Now, I'm a filmmaker, uh, very much inspired by uh, artists like you know, Quentin Tarantino and, and uh, you know, Spike Lee and all this other, you know. So as a filmmaker, we play with time, right? And the more we're watching films, the more that we, as an audience, are able to play with, you know, uh, you know, uh, different timelines and all that kind of stuff, right? So I'm gonna take you back, I'm gonna take you forward, and then we're gonna be bouncing around in time, so I hope y'all are, are, are okay with that. Um, so, you know, there's a, there's a story that Luke tells in chapter 17 of Luke in which some Pharisees walk up to Jesus, and they say, hey, Jesus, right? When will the kingdom of God come? Now, Jesus replied, as he often does, in a cryptic way to people who kind of come forward with questions that are rooted in a very traditional understanding of the Hebrew text. He says, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Right? Now, for somebody who approached Jesus asking about the kingdom of God and the coming of the kingdom of God, you know, these are people who were uh, steeped within a, a tradition and a history of, of prophecies, even just knowing of their own histories, having once had a, a, a kingdom established on earth, that the coming of the kingdom of God would be like a geopolitical kingdom that would have come, I probably, you know, hopefully peacefully, but if, if necessary, through sword and through war, as kingdoms have uh, come before and will continue to come uh, until you know, God makes it right, right? Um, and so when these guys are asking Jesus, like, when is this kingdom going to come? They're expecting, like, again, like, this, there's going to be something an observable, clear event of some, like, political or force or strength nature, and that then after that event, you'll be able to say, oh, there's the kingdom over there on 10th and G, right? You know? uh, so, and, and that's what the Jesus said, no, 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 no. It's not going to be like that. It's not going to be a, geo, a geographical place you can go to. It's not going to be something that is brought about the way that you human beings have constantly brought about and continue to bring about your own kingdoms. It's going to be something that you will be able to experience among you, amongst the people, right? And that's what we get here with this series about Paul Together. It's about like how the, the church is in a sense a way for the kingdom of God to exist, not bound by uh, time and space, not advanced through war and violence, all these 
things that Jesus was totally against, but advanced through uh, the love that Jesus exhibited to us and to his followers, right? And so I want to kind of go back a little bit to what we talked about uh, two weeks ago, because I'm continuing and picking up from there. You know, uh, Pastor Sienna and Anthony talked about um, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, about the day of Pentecost, right? The pouring out of the Spirit. It was a wonderful, wonderful message about how this, in this language event, right, we see the roots and the beginnings of a truly uh, diverse church that celebrates uh, everybody's culture and what they bring to the table, right? So it's funny, something that Pastor Tiana said last week that really, our two weeks are really stuck in my mind. She said that um, you know, the, the, this, this chapter, Acts chapter 2, is something that's typically taught uh, or preached on once a year, right? On Pentecost Sunday. <laughs> that was not my experience where I was coming from, right? So the church that I previously was a part of, I also was a minister for that church for uh, about seven years, right? This past, Acts chapter 2, featured centrally to the entire doctrine and movement and working of the church. So not only have I preached on this chapter many times before, but I have taught it hundreds of times in the small personalized Bible studies that were meant to introduce newcomers to the teachings of the church that I was a part of, right? Um, so it was, it was really cool when I saw that this particular passage was available. Given the journey that I have been on, that probably is very similar to the journeys that many of you have been on to that have brought you through the table. Due to that journey, I jumped at this full circle opportunity to be able to recontextualize this passage in the light of, uh, of the journey that I've gone on uh, to, to uh, on this faith journey. That's led me to oftentimes places where I no longer believe what I used to believe about this. It's been challenging, it's been exciting, and I really hope to bring some of that to you all this evening. Uh, as we hop into this. My goal, uh, before, I start, before I really hop in, I always have three goals whenever I get a chance to preach. And it's one is to encourage. Uh, we need a lot of that. We need courage and heart to go out there and, and, and face a lot of the difficulties and challenges that are going out there, going on out there in the world. I want to challenge. I think that the, I think the, 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 the Bible has a lot of teachings that are challenging. It pushes us. Uh, to be not just better people, but to be the real life, to realize the vision for people, for humanity, uh, that, that God has always had for us. But ultimately, I also want to inspire, and that is to uh, fill us with uh, the inspiration of God and to go and do likewise, as Jesus has said. And so with that, we're going to hop in. If you take notes, if you like titles, uh, the word title for the sermon is The Kingdom in Our Midst. Here we go, right? Um, so I, I mentioned again, like Acts chapter two, right? Like, if you you may be familiar with like something called the Roman Road of Salvation, you may be familiar with that concept. It's basically like a, series, a selection of scriptures from the Book of Romans that basically is like everything you need to know to get saved, right? To get salvation. For, again, for the church, I came from what's more like the Acts action plan, if you, if you will, uh, about how to do the same exact thing, right? And so, you know, it, it, it's one of those like, oh, if you read it, okay, it's, it's pretty straightforward, right? Where are we at this point in the story? Jesus has resurrected and ascended, right? The Spirit has just been poured out on all of mankind. Peter steps up to address the crowd to preach what is likely to be the inaugural sermon of this newly empowered church. 
And if their church is anything like the churches that I grew up with, many of us grew up in, then that sermon is going to end with the altar call to come up and be saved. Right? Simple as that. If it was indeed the same churches back then that we grew up here today. And that's what leads me to my first point when we talk about here is that there's no such thing as simply reading the Bible. Right? Because when we go to read the Bible, we are always bringing our own culture and experiences to it. Alright? Um, you know, through our culture, we inherit our beliefs about life, society, family, and religion. Right? And if we were raised or spent any significant amount of time in Western or, or colonized society, that's pretty much all of us here for the most part, then you've been taught about the Bible probably before you even had a chance to read it. So it's not just the showing up to the Bible and saying, oh, I can just read this and know exactly what it is saying, right? And so I wanted to kind of test that out a little bit by getting a little bit interactive. Can we can get a little interactive here this evening? Yeah. All right, awesome. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and, and very mask and very social distance if you can, you know, as close as you can. I want to like I want you to talk about the question. What is salvation? Alright, let's take about, about 30 seconds here on the words. What is salvation? So uh, who would like to share something that they talked about in their little group real quick? Yes. Awesome. So the next thing is like you're golden with through in, in the baptism, you sprinkle water, and then you're meant to go. Right? That's salvation. That's the experience. That's how it happens. Any others? Yes. We talked about being saved from our sinful nature. Uh, being saved from sinful nature. Okay, okay. One more. We talked about salvation being a process and that it is about justice working on all the areas of our lives. So for the things done to us and the things that we've done, things moving towards rightness. Absolutely. I, 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 love, I love that definition. I appreciate all of you all sharing here. You know, I think that it's funny. Depending on how you view what salvation is, it oftentimes a, 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 you know, affects how you approach the scriptures. Especially because of where we're coming from in, in our society, the Bible has been positioned to be a book that tells you about getting saved. That's the purpose of the scriptures, right? Many of us may have experienced that. Many of us, many of us may have heard the acronym Bible stands for uh, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth, right? Like that's how the Bible is positioned, right? Uh, the Bible is far more than just basic instructions before leaving earth. But depending on how you answer, I'm going to talk a little bit about salvation here. I think it ties into the theme of the kingdom being in our midst, right? I think it's been factored very uh, cheaply to uh, the text that we read here as well. Because as I mentioned before, Acts chapter 2, for me, for most of my time experience, spiritual reading and interpreting the Bible, has been a salvation proof text. So I want to try to deconstruct that a little bit, uh, dissect it, and I think shift it to where I think might, what might be truly uh, there, right? So um, I want to go back to what this gentleman here said about salvation. So I, I think that like in our culture, at least in my experience, salvation is often tied to sin. And it's salvation from sin and from the effects that sin has on our life. Not only does it mess up our lives in this world, but ultimately, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin 
is dead, right? If that is how you have approached salvation, your idea of understanding about what the purpose of the gospel is, about what we're being saved from, then you can read passages like Acts chapter 2 or Romans chapter 6 or pretty much all over, and you will see that very, very clearly. But it's possible, and I argue that it's actually, I think, maybe more true to the, to what we, to the fuller story here, that salvation is more than just about being saved from sin so that we can avoid death, but perhaps it's being saved from death so we can be freed from sin, right? Let me break that down a little bit here. It was a book that I, uh, that I read a few years ago that uh, was pivotal to my, uh, to this kind of paradigm shift in this journey that I've It's called The Slavery of Death by Richard Beck. Has anybody heard of Richard Beck before? Or this book? It's a little tiny booklet. Um, it was published in 2015 or something like that. Um, and basically, his thesis from this book is that there are kind of two approaches to understanding the gospel message, right? There's one that's kind of more like the, the Western route, which is what I mentioned here, that we're being saved since sin causes death. And so the power, the gospel message is that through Jesus' atoning death on the cross, right, for our sins, our sins are forgiven through his sacrifice, and so because of that, we can now experience eternal life through Christ Jesus, right? Um, that's a, that understanding of the atonement is when I know that in this space we have really talked a lot about. Um, but a lot of us have kind of come from that uh, background, right? He also mentioned, however, that there's been kind of the more Eastern uh, uh, experience of Christianity. It's actually very different. The gospel is not about Jesus conquering sin and therefore saving us from death, but it's that Jesus is conquering, Jesus conquering death, it can free us from slavery to the fear of death and the resulting sins that come from that. You know, he, he references 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54. It says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Now, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, he says here that, uh, the scripture says here that the sting of death is sin. You know, Richard Beck here in, in this book breaks down about how our inherent fear of our own death and mortality produces within us the acts of what can be called, what has oftentimes trans translated as our sinful nature. But what many traditions actually bring back to, and I think it's more accurately, our flesh, the part of our body that decays, the part of our body that breaks down, the part of our body that we know that our minds are able to comprehend the cosmos and deep philosophical uh, concepts, the body that traps that brain in something that ultimately will break down and decay. Let's get a little quiet. <laughs> because this is a very tough topic for us especially to talk about. We live in a society that has expertly sanitized itself from the presence and the, 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 the view and the grappling of death, right? Uh, if you think about just a hundred years ago, maybe 150 years ago, right? People did not pass away in hospitals for the most part. They passed away at home. Everybody in the household was a part of taking care of those who were sick 
And when they died, everybody in the household was a part of burying this person or commemorating their memory, right? Um, as advances in medicine and grown, uh, you know, we, we are seeing less and less that life, or we're seeing more that life is prolonged and less and less the effects of the illness and, and the fact that our bodies break down. That's the way that we've like moved and pushed that out of our view. What we eat, right now, I know a lot of you have become ethically, uh, ethically a vegetarian, <laughs> ethically vegetarian, <laughs> ethically vegetarian or, or vegan because of the, uh, the fact that animals are that have to be killed for that. Uh, but a lot of us still eat and consume uh, meat and animal byproducts. And before, it was like, Virtually everybody in human existence knew what it looked like and felt like to slaughter him. Right? Very recently. Now all that is taking place, that takes place in the factory, it's packaged, you can pick it up at the store, and you know, and there it is, neat and completely separated from the fact that a creature died a very violent and horrible death uh, to, to, to get that. I'm still again, I'm still someone who needs meat, and I and you just think about that, I feel a little sad. Where are you pushing? Right? Uh, or if you don't want to look at the raw meat, you just go to, go to the restaurant and it's cooked right there, then and there for you. Um, elderly, the elderly, right? Again, as I said before, it used to be that the elderly, that the elderly lived with the family pretty much throughout the rest of their lives. You know, for us in our society, there are places where you know, people uh, are, go once they are you know, age, and they again are they were able to remove that from our uh, from our everyday view. Homelessness, right? There are two, many of us are able to escape and not view, or be able to uh, not have to view the effects of extreme poverty and, and the way that that can oftentimes lead to death of those who experience that because, you know, as our, uh, as our communities, as our cities really go about cleansing us of that. And so through all of these many ways, we have become people who have a very hard time grappling with and wrestling with death. And there, that puts a weight and an anxiety on us, according to this, this book that I mentioned here and, 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 and you know, a few others that the, book, that the author mentions here, that puts an anxiety on us that can push us towards finding ways to chase away the fact that we are weak. That we can be, we are prone to, we are prone to, we are prone to our own mortality, right? We can accumulate wealth as a means of saying, "Look, I can prolong the, uh, the, the my life through having wealth." We go and have these jobs, and we obtain these titles that can remind us, like, "Oh, I, my life is something more than just this the corporal body that is here. I've made a name for myself." There are names of names on buildings all throughout the city, all throughout the world, of people who have successfully found a way to cheat death, if you will, by having their names last forever. Um, you know that there is that I mentioned that part of, of that death anxiety. So I think that's something that for us here living in uh, DC, I think many of us, uh, you know, probably come from. Uh, or maybe it's like come from privileged backgrounds where experiencing uh, more of a more privileged lifestyle now than others. That's probably something that we can relate to far more than that survival anxiety of like, oh, in order for me to survive, right, I need to have all of my supplies and my materials with me, all my resources, and I need to make sure that no one else can take that from me, right? 
uh, greed, hoarding, resource uh, hoarding, all, all of that. These are also things that stem from that fear of death. So in this argument, I think that for me when I read this, it really opened my eyes to see all the ways in which my desire to feel as though I matter, or that my existence supersedes this realization that I will someday, this existence will some, or consciousness will someday end in the form that it is now. There are so many things that can stem from that selfish ambition, rivalry, competition, etc. And I believe that it's that same anxiety that has inhibited people from being able to realize the kingdom of God in our midst. So I gave all of this background, and now that people that I want to actually hop into the text and read what we have here. So I hope that having received this background here, that it might help us to read what's going on here in a different light. Okay? Let's look at Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to start in verse 14. Read the parts of it and skip around here so you guys can get the gist. So first is, you know, remember when we last left off, the disciples were speaking in different languages, and people were like, you guys are clearly drunk. And Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now, of course, you know, it's, that was pre-pandemic days. It's not. <laughs> 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 no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men <clears throat> will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. We'll, go, we'll get into that. that. That's a little bit of apocalyptic literature. Uh, it's, you know, just like any old type of literature. It's meant to be read in a particular way. It's understood in a particular way. Usually when we have these large and grandiose images of blood and fire and smoke and things collapsing and all that, it's oftentimes a commentary on the ending of the current status quo that is uh, 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 oftentimes exacting un oppressive and unjust measures upon the people. Um, in verse 21, any everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth is a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You know, Peter essentially summarizes the gospel message about Jesus coming and the wonders that Jesus performed there among them, and that ultimately what happened, as many of them probably may have heard for the first time of them visiting Jerusalem for the first time or hearing about, and it's, I find it very interesting that Peter chooses to kind of put the onus upon the crowd, many of whom, as we learned two weeks ago, were visiting Jerusalem for the holiday and probably weren't even really from there. And he places on there, we're going to get to that a little bit. 
He goes through and spends uh, a few verses looking at prophecies from the Old Testament. He's like, look, this idea of somebody resurrecting from the dead and kind of taking place as like the, as Lord, as Messiah, is not a new one. David wrote that. We, we've read these things before. Here are the ways that these prophecies have kind of hinted us at the fact that death can be defeated and that death would be defeated. And so as he goes through that, basically verses 25 through 35 there, then he talks about verse 36 to close out. It says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, the Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And you do a little bit of a peek back into my old uh, ministry life when I would be studying the Bible with somebody uh, and you know, again, trying to convince them that the way that I and the people around me viewed the Bible was the only way to do it. Uh, when we got to this point, I always ask them, Now, why do you think it is that these guys were cut to the heart by this message? Of course, the answer that we're trying to get, that we're wanting to, to see from that, and it was the answer not, that, not maliciously, this is what we believe. This is how we approach the scriptures even before we ever read it, because of the, our, the way that we were brought to the text. But the answer we're hoping for them to find was that they were so crushed by their sins and realizing what Jesus had done because of their sins and the wrath that God placed upon them because of their sins that. Um, you know, that's what broke them. And in a similar way, we must be broken if we really truly want to hear this salvation message. I don't think that that is clearly something that's being stated there. I think it's very, it's very clear to see that if that is how you are approaching the scriptures, you can read that into the text here. Right? I think it has something to do with what Jesus, or sorry, what Peter said earlier about you would help a wicked man putting him to death by nailing to the cross, right? Again, going back to this idea about our anxiety about death and our desire to do with that, to avoid having to uh, deal with that, like even in a society that that's far more steep, that, that that is something that is natural and, 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 and nature to our existence as human beings. And at the time that Jesus was around, Jesus represented a some a, a a a way of or Jesus represented the possibility of death for a way of life and a way of living that many people at that time did not want to lose, right? And so um, Jesus was coming here and he was preaching about uh, you know these things that some people uh, interpreted as oh you're going to make trouble with the Romans. The Romans have are, are the empire that we're living within. They kind of make sure that we can continue living in peace and harmony. If we lose that, then we will lose our lives. And so, with the help of you know, quote unquote, wicked men, and that's the, if you look at your, uh, the uh, subscript there, it can mean those without the law or the Gentiles. Basically, with the help of the Romans. The people who kind of led the community, led the society, were able to uh, convince themselves and other people that the way to avoid the death of their way of life, and their understanding of life, that this man, Jesus, needed to die. And so, because of that way of living, that way of thinking, 
being led to. I believe what Peter is commenting on here is not really saying that the onus is not on you because, like, you individual person, like, your sin was so great that Jesus needed to die, but it's that your desire for comfort, your desire for, for, for peace, your desire to maintain this particular way of thinking that Jesus challenged you, like, we were all complicit in pushing for this huge, deep, uh, action of injustice upon this man. And so upon hearing that, I believe that is what led these people to be cut to the heart and ask the question of brothers, what shall we do? Now Peter closes out by saying, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord, our God, will call. With many other words, he warned them, he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accept his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Again, I want to cycle back to this idea of what is salvation? And how do we view it? If you view it, salvation as being the forgiveness of sins and therefore being like, able to escape death, then yeah, this text makes it very clear. Repent and baptize, and you'll be forgiven, and then that's it, you're good to go. Right? But the fact that it only mentions that so briefly instead spends dedicates so much time to proving that resurrection can happen to these people here, like proving from the text that this resurrection happened, and that the real thing that Jesus did was not just about forgiving sins, but was about having, but having victory over death. Like, I believe that these things are like, and these are things that you are already familiar with, but now we can recontextualize that in, this, these are acts that don't just like help you to be a part of the Jewish community, but now help you to be a part of this new way of living that is one where death no longer needs to be something that we are enslaved to. Like, the fear of death is something that we no longer need to be enslaved to. Um, I do want to say that like, Death is, is scary. And the, the goal of this sermon, and I don't, and I don't believe that it's not, I don't believe it's the goal of Bible either, to say, hey, don't be afraid of dying ever. More so, I believe, about what is more so, is closer to what is said in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, where it says, through death, Jesus, uh, through his death, Jesus might destroy the one holding the power of death and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. You know, there are things that I believe um, that can hold us, uh, sorry, um, I believe that this fear of death can be, has such a strong grip on us that it holds us to, um, sorry, one second. <laughs> Yeah, so there are, I believe that, that, you know, that this fear of death can be so strong that it enslaves us to the point where it prevents us from being able to do acts of loving kindness that might be considered as something that is sacrificial, right? Or that might be more difficult for us to do. I think a really good example of this, again, I, I, my ultimate hope again is, is to inspire, and I know that this is a very challenging topic for a lot of us. Um, you know, we as a country are preparing to hit one million deaths as a result of COVID-19. Um, and it is something that I 
believe you will be grappling with now and for many, many, many years to come from here. I don't think that we fully experience the implications of that yet. I think a part of that is because of a reluctance to allow us to feel that. I don't know but like, I don't, like, the idea that there are a million people who are gone and a million more families that are now living in the wake of that as our society pushes so fast to say we're done, it's over, we don't have to worry about this anymore. There are, at the alternative, an article in the newspaper the other day about how many families feel left behind by a society that has rushed so quickly to declare that we have had victory over this thing that's still uh, having such an impact on human life. Um, you know, I think even just mentioning what happened yesterday in Buffalo, right? It's still hard for me even to talk about because it feels like these things are continuing to happen. It was just, you know, how many years ago it was, uh, the shooting at the A&E church in South, in South Carolina, right? And what was the reason behind that? Oh, a fear of being replaced. A fear that my way of life may end a death and anxiety. Um, I believe that what Peter is offering here in this sermon and offering in this text, and what we've seen here with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, is that just in the same way that God's breath breathed life into the Adam and Eve, this pouring out of the Holy Spirit has the potential to breathe a life within us that can shake off the, this anxiety and this fear of dealing with the fact that, yes, we may, our lives right now may one day come to an end. But there's so much power and potential in living self-sacrificing lives um, to be able to bring about goodness and justice in the community. And I think that's followed up what we see in the remainder of the chapter. So I'm going to close out the chapter reading verse 42. It says, after these 3,000 people were baptized, so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to meet anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Right? Look at the kind of community that was created after this one experience, you know, after this one message. I think what's amazing about this is again like the fact that everybody held things in common and that people were selling their property and their possessions so that other people could have needs. Can you imagine if like, people who kind of moved into this city and bought, very, uh, bought their homes at a cheaper price that pushed people out of the city? You know, there's a much longer conversation here. Um, and again, I'm not trying to like yell you know, or, or convict anybody here of, of, you know, of, of that. But I'm saying that that, that is the, the, the truth of what's happening here. Let's see, but imagine like, people being willing to sell that so that those people who are struggling to find housing and finding homes would have their needs met, right? There was nobody among them who had needs, what it says uh, a few chapters later, it's gonna come in a few weeks in Acts chapter four, right? They, they broke bread together, they, they, they were able to live lives that helped other people among them to have their needs met. 
I think that this is the kind of giving, the kind of self-sacrifice that I don't know about y'all, but I don't I haven't experienced my that the forgiveness of my sins has is something that has pushed me necessarily to to do um, this kind of good, right? In in, in my life. I, I, that, maybe for you, but for me that's not been something that's been personally uh, motivating for me. I think what has motivated is the fact that it's a question, why am I holding on to something that like I feel like I am called to give? Whether it's something that is tangible, whether it's my time, whether it's my talent, you know, and what is it that's causing me to hold on to this? What is it that's causing me to feel rivalry or, uh, <laughs> or uh, again, like about competition against the people who I work with, right? Or against like the people who are literally driving, trying to race to <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that road rage is a part of that little death anxiety because it's like we don't want to lose or do up one little thing. Um, you know, but like, you know, what if we can just be like, hey, you know what? It's cool, right? Like, yes, that is something that like is coming down the line. Uh, whenever it comes, it will come. But right now, like, I because of I've seen a man. These guys, for them, because we've seen or heard of a man coming back from the dead, and that there's this promise for us to experience that same thing, we don't need to hold on anymore. You know, what implications, as I, uh, you know, move to close here, what implications does that have for us and for our community uh, today, right? Um, you know, I think that when we read about what these people did, you know, 2,000 years ago, we have that was a very different society to what we're in today, right? And so the society was set up back then to make it easier for people to be like, hey, just come on a little by home, you know? Uh, and, or, or come on, just like share, you know, share what we have here, or, you know? Uh, it, it was a different society. So I think today, that there, there is, there are some things that, you know, given the times that we're in, we might have, we, you know, we can't just do exactly what we see here. But I think for you, start with what you envision, right? What, what is something that excites you about being able uh, to do that that is uh, or what is something that excites you about creating and building community within your sphere of influence, right? You know, for me, I was thinking about I, I never thought I would think about this, but uh, until until very recently, I thought a lot about the possibility of being able to like move one day and to like buy some land, uh, like where we can farm and like grow our own crops. And then just invite a bunch of people, like with different professions, and all kinds of things, all, all the ground covered, and kind of live in this community where, you know, and invite people in where we can help take care of one of ourselves and empower others to take care of themselves and others as well. That's a vision, that's a goal that, like, can happen, right? This passage here, like, shows us that this is something. Uh, that that we that can happen that there are steps that we can take to doing that right. Um, I think that like think about what is what is a, a way that you are looking for and that you need community, and what are some of the things that might be preventing you from experiencing that? Is it the fear of like putting yourself out there and being rejected? That's that anxiety. <laughs> that's that death anxiety. If we, if we think about the fear, the fear of being seen as weak. I think that you know weakness is something again that we've sanitized ourselves with needing to feel, especially in a town like DC, where you have to be on your keys and keys the entire time, right? Maybe that's something that we you know that we no longer need to be um, held uh, by by because of this promise of 
uh, of living a, a, a resurrected life um, through the Spirit. You know? um, I think that the last thing I'll say here as I close out is I love seeing like one of, one of, one of my ways I love to hear about in the scriptures is seeing like Old Testament like prophecies or or Old Testament like attempts at like real, realizing the, 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 the vision of like Shalom and God's kingdom here on this earth being realized in the scriptures and what that means for us today. Um, you know in Deuteronomy chapter 15, I'll read this real quick and then and then we will match. Verse 7. You know, the Bible says that if there is a poor person among you, one of your brothers within any of your gates, in the land the Lord your God has given you, you must not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Instead, you have to open your hand to him and freely loan him enough for whatever need he has. Be careful that there isn't this wicked thought in your heart. Oh, yeah, seven years coming up. And it talks about like, these rules and ways to cheat the system so that you can like, um, not have to forgive people of their debts. Um, basically, it says um, in verse 11, For there will never cease to be poor people in the land. That is why I command you, you must willingly open your hand to your afflicted and poor brother in your land. You know, this is something that, a, a, a law that God gave to uh, the, 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 the Jewish people, the Israelites, in order to realize a sense of a, a social utopia in their midst. A place again where everybody had their needs met. And one of the ways in which, and, 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 and I think the rest of the Bible will be reading when it's called the Old Testament, is showing how time and time again the realization of that vision was thwarted because of the people who were more focused on prolonging, like, and, and, and better, I guess, you know, prolonging their way of life and chasing away the fear of losing that by, you know, trusting themselves in the king or engaging in a war that would allow them to expand their territory or you know putting their uh, their support behind a religious leader or a um, or a political leader who would make them feel more secure. And time and time again this vision was thwarted. So many of the prophecies if you read them are about how the poor go unfed. You know the the, the housed the unhoused remain unhoused. Those who are oppressed remain oppressed because of how much you, how much the people are so focused on themselves and what they're doing. What I love about this uh, chapter here today is that we see a glimpse of that social utopia realized. I think it's one that, if we look at this landscape of Christianity today, it's one that can be very hard to find because uh, many of us have fallen back into this way of again triumph and and success and not seeming weak. And holding on to what we have uh, as a way of feeling as though this event that we know is, you know, is, is on the horizon is, is long and far off. But I do believe, as we saw here in the chapter here, that if we hold to it and, and accept this promise, that salvation again is not just about being freed from our sins, being freed from death, and therefore slavery to the fear of death, that we can recognize the kingdom of God in our midst. Thank you.